Welcome to From the Bridge. I'm your host, Rick Jones, captain of Fishbait Marketing. We have another big show today with one of my very favorite people, Bob Heisner from Strong Bridge Sponsorship. Bob is the very best sponsorship strategist I have ever known, and you're going to learn a lot from him today. We'll also, as always, have another Tuesday tip and another segment of On the Road with Rick. But firstly, let's talk a little today about selling solutions versus selling products. The great salespeople are treated as invited guests because they're not trying to sell products, but rather they are bringing unique solutions and value to those companies they're targeting. I try to do this each and every time I make a call on someone. I try to actually bring them some value. Maybe it's a new product some new information or new insights. And that way they're glad to see you. When you're constantly trying to sell something, people will try to reject you. They'll find every reason in the world not to meet with you. But if you bring potentially solutions to the table, they're absolutely glad to see you. Now, we've talked a lot about the triangle of property, sponsor, and fan. The sponsorship dilemma is this. Sponsors have to bring a compelling added value component to the targeted consumer or fan in conjunction with that fan's participation with the event. And even more importantly, the sponsor must get the credit by that fan for bringing or enhancing the experience. And if you haven't done that, You've really wasted your money. And so you, the salesperson, absolutely must find that component. What is the added value you can bring to the fan that will give the sponsor the credit? So in order to to do just that, you know, we got to change the way we sell. Uh, Mr. Einstein wants to find insanity is doing the same things over and over, hoping for different results. Sounds like a salesperson. See, the truth is we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. In order to be successful, we've got to change the way we think. We need to re-engineer our approach, our thinking, our knowledge, our processes, our sales techniques, and that will lead to higher closing rates. So you, you've got to stop thinking of yourself as a salesperson and start thinking of yourself as a consultant. And there's a big, big difference. Now, I have a formula for starting that. Here's my formula. D plus V plus P is less than C. Now, what does that mean? Well, D is dissatisfaction. It means that you have a case for wanting to make a change. You add to the D, the V, which is vision. And vision is the future perfect scenario. You're dissatisfied where you are, and now you've identified where you want to go. And then you add the P to that, which is process. How to get you from where you are now to where you want to be. And all that must be less than the cost of the change. The cost of the change is partly emotional. 
And it's that we've always done it this way, or it won't work here, or that's how everyone else in our industry does it. It's those emotional barriers we have to overcome. But it's partly a lack of discipline, the failure to completely and consistently work your sales system. Let me tell you a little story about dissatisfaction. There was a a lawyer in Atlanta. He'd been a very successful student athlete and um, had a very, very successful law career, but he got involved in kind of a pro bono project at his church. He was asked to lead uh, the capital campaign for building a new sanctuary in his church, and he tackled it with great enthusiasm. And the day of the dedication of the service, he was recognized for his contributions to making this beautiful new sanctuary uh, come to fruition. Well, he went home that afternoon, and he got in his hammock in his backyard, and he took a pad of paper. And after a few hours, he came back in and told his wife, you know, that was one of the most gratifying things I've ever done. And I just don't think I can just go back to being a lawyer again. And his wife said, well, what do you want to do? And Billy Payne said, I think I'm going to bring the Olympic Games to Atlanta, Georgia. A case for dissatisfaction. A case of a vision. A case of a process to get there. Now, uniquely, the cost of the change was not as great as you would think. Because Atlanta had, a, had infrastructure. They had the ability to build Olympic stadiums and Olympic venues and have hotel rooms and dormitories and all that. Now, I can get in my hammock this afternoon and decide I'm going to bring the Olympic Games here to Charleston. Well, that dog won't hunt. That's not going to happen uh, because we don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the airport. We don't have the hotels. We certainly don't have the athletic venues. And so that's what I'm talking about, about a realistic look at change. Now, one of my favorite companies is Nike. And their tagline is just do it. It's not just think about it. It's not just plan for it. It's not just hope it. It's just do it. Let's look at those words, do it. The D stands for decide, to change the way we think, the way we prepare, the way we practice, pitch, close, and service. That is a sales system for a consultant. The O is observe, the world around us. We're constantly learning and improving. We're constantly trying to seek out new ways to bring value to prospects. The I stands for ideate, think, collaborate, play, innovate. You know, the truth is while salespeople are kind of like cowboys, they're out on the range by themselves, nobody's successful without a successful team behind them. And you've got to have a team that can help you in that process. And finally, the T stands for trial. Test it, tweak it, and try it again. The truth is failure gets you a lot closer to success than you think. All failure is is rejecting one method and then moving on to the next method. So that's where you start. Then you move to the next step where it's no longer about you, but it's about them. And we call this the salesperson's process. And it's a four-step process. Step one for them is relating. Can they relate to you? Do you relate to them? Relating builds trust, which then leads to what I call discovering. 
And discovering is where you identify the needs they have. Where are problems or where are their opportunities? That leads to advocating. That's when you begin to provide help. You begin to make suggestions of ways to maximize an opportunity or minimize or eliminate a problem. And finally, the last step is supporting. Supporting is when you actually walk the talk. What you've advocated can become reality, and this creates satisfaction. Relating builds trust. Discovering identifies need. Advocating provides help. And supporting creates satisfaction. So let's look at a real-world example of a project I'm currently working on, and that is selling sponsorships for the new ACC network. The Atlantic Coast Conference will have a new network, uh, linear network, television network, making its debut in August of this year. Now, I believe you've got to sell the ACC as a relevant intellectual property because we're not sure about the media reach. We don't right now know how many households we're going to have, and we certainly don't know how many people are going to watch because for a a limited period of time or maybe even a longer period of time, we're going to be a non-rated network. And so the media reach will become secondary to the value of the sponsorship package. Now, in order to do this as a consultant, I've had to create what I call platform themes or swim lanes to allow each sponsor some unique and relevant turf and a positioning for storytelling. And so here are some of the swim lanes that I've identified for the ACC. The first one is innovation. There's already plans for a thing we call ACC Novation. We want to be the most innovative conference and showcase those innovations through our broadcast. Now, the ACC has a history of innovation. First conference to have a a basketball tournament. First conference to have a shot clock. First conference to have a three-point line. The ACC always, always was innovative, and there's no reason why they're not going to continue to be innovative. The second platform is called Access, all (laughs) A-C-C-S, Access. How do we give fans a look behind the scenes in locker rooms, in practices, in a way that no one's done before. The next platform is academics, ACC Ademics. Academics are very critical in the ACC. We have more private schools than any other Power Five conference. We have many public schools that act like private schools. And so we have great, great history of academic achievement. We're going to play that up. The fourth swim lane is leadership. How do we take a lead role and showcase leadership across all of our constituencies? The next platform is health, fitness, and wellness. We want to be the healthiest conference with the healthiest student-athletes, students, and alumnus. And how do we indicate that? The next platform I call food, fashion, and fun. And that's all the cool things that we'll do to enhance the fan experience around ACC sports. And the final platform is what I call putting the coast back in the Atlantic Coast Conference. How do we have coastal imagery and use it? After all, the conference now runs from Boston all the way down the eastern seaboard to Miami. Now, next week, we're going to use this model to discuss the next step in sponsorship. And that step is what we call engineering. (laughs) 
Now, once again, it's time for the Tuesday tip. This one's called All God's Children Hate Mondays. I'm actually uh, recording the podcast on Mondays, but I think universally people are, are not crazy about Mondays. But conversely, all God's children love Fridays. And as a salesperson, I try to leave folks alone on Mondays. Nobody wants to hear from you on Monday. In fact, have you ever met anyone who loves Mondays? Well, me neither. And the last person you want to sell to is someone that's in a lousy mood. Grumpy brains are automatically set to no. Uh, Friday's a whole different story. Everybody loves Friday. For me, Friday should be renamed Sales Day. Any salesperson worth his salt is out calling on customers and prospects on Fridays. Try pitching something on a Tuesday, and by Friday it's been forgotten amidst all the crisis of the week. But if you share an idea on Friday, the person you shared it with will noodle it in their mind and in their head over the weekend. Fridays are also great days to get someone out for a long lunch, maybe a round of golf or an early drink. Book that meeting Activate the out-of-office message on your email, head out the door, and you have a great chance to close a deal or sell an idea. And won't that put you in a good mood? My guest angler today is Bob Heisner of Strongbridge Sponsorship, a Michigan-based agency that works largely in sponsorship strategy. Bob has worked throughout his career in all things in marketing communications from advertising to event marketing. He was part of the legendary BMW account team at Amarati and Puris that wrote and executed the classic and timeless tagline, the ultimate driving machine. And both of us worked together at Advantage International, which is now Octagon, where Bob excelled in Olympic marketing. He led our new business development for the 1996 Atlanta Summer Olympic Games, where Advantage won 14 out of 17 competitive pitches. He led various accounts, including BMW, IBM, UPS, Motorola, among others. And later, he worked on multiple other Olympic Games, including the 2012 London Games. So let's welcome Bob to the program. Hey, Bob, thanks for being with us from the bridge. Great to be here, Rick. Hey, tell us a little bit about your professional journey. I know you've you've worked in a variety of marketing communications industries, advertising, sponsorship, event marketing. Where did it all begin? Well, it, it, it is a long and winding road, that's for sure. Um, it started uh, in Michigan. Uh, I grew up outside of Detroit and like so many others in this part of the world. Uh, I grew up in a car family and uh, my dad was in the car business. I started out in the car business and, and I didn't know it at the time, but that's what in a long and kind of winding way led me to where I am now. I, uh, I took my knowledge of the car business and one of the responsibilities that I had when I was working in the retail business was advertising for a couple of different dealerships. And I discovered that I liked the advertising bit more than I did all the rest of the work that went into that business. And that led me into the advertising business. And uh, I worked for an agency called Bozell Jacobs Kenyon and Eckhart on the Chrysler Plymouth business. 
I did that for a couple of years and then found my way to New York where I worked at, frankly, one of the legendary shops in American advertising, Amorati and Puris. Yeah, I mentioned that in the intro. Um, you know, that that was a great agency. I mean, it, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, in the intro, I talked about uh, the tagline, the ultimate driving machine, but my favorite tagline of all was the, <clears throat> I think they did one for Club Med that was called the anecdote for civilization. <laughs> and I just thought that might've been the greatest tagline ever written. Yep. Uh, a woman by the name, just by the by of Helene Spivak wrote that line. Uh, anyway, uh, so, so um, while I was at Amirati and Puris, I started there as an account executive on the BMW business and ended up as the, the vice president management supervisor and looking after the entire account. And I was, I was privileged to, to work with some of the advertising world's great writers, great art directors, and a terrific client. So while I was at, at Amirati, uh, I met a young man by the name of Harlan Stone, who had a small sports marketing agency called Stone Sports. And we just clicked. And one of his clients uh, was BMW. And ultimately, our conversations led to him making me the proverbial offer I couldn't refuse to own a, a relatively small but highly regarded agency called Advantage International. And this was 1990 now. And as most of your listeners, or at least your listeners of a certain age, will know that Advantage International grew into Octagon. And I didn't know anything about sports marketing, Rick. I didn't know anything about sponsorship. I learned a lot about marketing, if you will, and advertising in my years in the advertising business. And that's what held me in pretty good stead as I learned the sponsorship and sports marketing business during those days at, uh, at Advantage, uh, and then later Octagon. Um, and so I spent 16 years there um, and worked on a variety of client businesses, uh, led their consulting practice, um, helped the company with its own strategy, um, guided them toward a couple of acquisitions. Um, and then uh, that was all in Washington, D.C., by the way, uh, with a three-year tour of duty in London as well in the lead-up to the, to the London Games. And, and then uh, I had an opportunity to come back to Detroit. And for family reasons, you know, this is Michigan is home. Yeah, go go blue. Yeah. Hey, did you see they're in the College World Series? Yeah, they they've had a, a tremendous run um, you know, through this, which I think is just, you know, amazingly it's great for the Big 10. Um, it's been a long time since the Big 10 had a team um in Omaha. I think it's really really good. Yeah, it just just great. Well, anyway, an opportunity to come back and and uh run an IPG shop called General Motors Event Works uh, presented itself. And I took it, uh, ran that shop for a couple of years. Um, and then, uh, you know, I got the itch to do my own thing. And I founded uh, 
Strongbridge several years ago, and Strongbridge sponsorship is a, a very small, you could call it a boutique sponsorship agency that works with brands, uh, consults to them uh, regarding contract negotiation, um, sponsorship strategy, that's really our, our niche, but also works with properties, um, trying to help them secure funding and uh, the reason for the business, the purpose of the business is as you and I'm sure all your listeners know, I mean, the best, the strongest sponsorships are the result of a true partnership between the rights holder and the brand. And Strongbridge is about creating that bridge, that strong bridge between the two and helping both of them get the most out of the deal. So, Well, I've told everyone, including this listening audience today, that you're absolutely the single best sponsorship strategist I've ever known. And, and, I, mean, and I mean that uh, in all sincerity. But, you know, it starts with that foundation of strategy. Why is strategy so important? You know, it's interesting, Bob, the, the fact that you didn't come into sports marketing with this, I want to be in sports marketing because I love sports nonsense that so many did, uh, that you came at it from a very, very strategic approach regarding marketing communications. But strategy, I think, even today, I, I look at some things and I go, I, I don't get it. I don't understand the strategy behind why they're spending their money. Talk a little bit about strategy. Yeah, well, before I do that, I, I should say I do love sports. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it, it's, you know, sports, you know, both both uh, as a fan and, and as a participant, I was a three-sport athlete in high school, played a little college football. Uh, I, I do love sports, but and so the opportunity to mix a love uh, and business was was pretty cool. But uh, to come back to your question, Rick, I mean, strategy is so important because it's the essence of differentiation. And you know, you had mentioned in your intro a little bit about Amarati and Puris and BMW, and you know, I think that's one of the all-time great examples of of strategy um a, a positioning statement and a product by the way that were truly unique if if you look back and and this is kind of a little bit of advertising trivia so the ultimate driving machine which is a terrific one of the best positioning statements i think i've come across in my career in five years that line will be 50 years old. Wow. Yeah. If, if, it, if it ain't broke, don't break it, right? <laughs> exactly. But, but, you know, the essence of strategy, as I said, is differentiation. And, and back in the day, there was this thing called USP, um, Ultimate Selling Proposition, which that goes back literally to the 1940s. Uh, that precedes even me. Uh, but, but, it, you know, in, in essence, what that was about is, you know, what is it that only you can say or do? And to bring this back to BMW, if if you think about when their automobiles arrived in this country, which call it mid-70s, their sedans did something that no other sedans in the marketplace could do. I mean, they could haul people and cargo, but they handled like sports cars. And they were truly unique in that way. And out of that 
product differentiation, Martin Puris wrote the line, the ultimate driving machine. And here we are 45 years later, and it, I think it's safe to say, has stood the test of time. So, you know, it, strategy is hard um, because oftentimes in a world of parity products, there isn't an apparent differentiation, but, but you have to dig down and you have to find, if at all possible, the essence of it, and then say that in a way that is compelling. And that's the other half of it. You have to find what's different, and then you have to say it in a way that's compelling. You know, um, you mentioned something about, about the uniqueness of the BMW relationship with I'm writing Purist and then later with Advantage and Octagon. I've always said they're they're really no great agencies. You're just great clients. If you don't have a client willing to listen to you, willing to take a chance, willing to find that North Star, um, then it can be very, very frustrating. Um, and 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 obviously they were willing to do that. And because of that, boy, fifty years. What, what a what an amazing thing that is that the positioning has remained exactly the same. The differential has remained the same. I mean, wow. It is amazing. Uh, and, and maybe even more amazing is and something that probably very few of your listeners would know. There'd be no reason for them to know it. But when Ralph Amarati and Martin Puris went over to Munich in 1974, they literally had no clients. So if you think about <laughs> the risk that BMW AG took in hiring them, because at that time there was no BMW of North America. The cars were distributed by uh, a, an individual, a distributor. Wow. You know, yeah. So you are on the right point. Um, clients can be great. They can be not so great. But the great ones are willing to listen, and importantly, the great ones are willing to do things that are outside of their comfort zone. Well, you've worked on so many Olympic Games and Olympic sponsorship programs with a lot of amazing uh, corporate sponsors. What do you feel makes the Olympic Games so special? Yeah, well, you're right about, uh, you know, 12 Olympic Games for me now. Um, and... Uh, by the time we get to Los Angeles in 2028, there'll be a few more. I think it'll probably be up to 15 by then, assuming that I'm alive and kicking, which I'm planning on. Um, I think uh, I think this, um, you know, I think from a brand perspective, from a let's look at it from a sponsor point of view. I mean, if you to park that for a minute, I mean, I think what makes them so special are the stories, Rick. I mean, the stories of inspiration, the stories of, of perseverance, of overcoming adversity. And, and of course, when we talk about Olympics, we shouldn't forget about Paralympics as well, where some of the most inspirational stories of perseverance and, and overcoming adversity are to be found. And so anyway, I think, you know, when, when you hear these stories and, you know, they're just nearly countless um, about young athletes who trained in some cases since they were four, five, six years old, and those would be gymnasts and swimmers in some cases, um, and then get to a moment where the eyes of the world are on them and 
billions of people are there watching and seeing if they will perform. And, and the wonderfulness of it is that some will rise to the occasion, some will not. And, and, but that's what makes the moments memorable. And to come back then though, from a, to look at it from a brand perspective, um, I think the Olympic games are special because in, in my experience and in doing this for 30 years, roughly speaking, I, I think uh, the, the Olympic Games are unmatched in their ability to change behavior. And by that, I mean they're, they're unmatched in their ability to motivate, to motivate buyers to buy and sellers to sell. And I have been fortunate to be a part of so many great campaigns uh, from terrific sponsors like IBM and UPS and Bank of America. And, and I have seen that firsthand. I mean, Rick, uh, we saw UPS use its Olympic sponsorship to improve driver safety in Mexico and saved them millions and millions of dollars in the process. Um, I saw Manulife, that's a large, yeah. a lot of American listeners won't yeah. know that brand, but it's a large, large enough to have bought John Hancock, by the way. But uh, I saw Manulife agents in China record record sales just for the opportunity, the chance to carry the torch in the torch relay. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's the, the, those kinds of things that the Olympic games, those experiences, I think to be in the stands, to watch the men's hundred meter, uh, to watch Usain Bolt set a world record and an Olympic record in Beijing, China, uh, to carry the torch. Um, you know, it's, I think that from a brand perspective is uh, is why they're so special. Well, you mentioned IBM and um, you were kind of the, I thought really were the sponsorship architect for the, their, you know, 94 and 96 Olympic games platforms. Um, I talked a little uh, today earlier about selling solutions and the, the case study for IBM was really their technology was a solution for the Olympics Talk a little bit about that program. Yeah, uh, one of the great experiences of my Olympic uh, career, actually. Um, so to you know, just to dial back the the clock a little bit, IBM had been a part of every single Olympic game since 1964 in Squaw Valley. Wow! Uh, and had played a kind of an unsung role. Uh, and by the time the early 90s had rolled around, information, specifically information management, had just become essential to the management of a games. Um, and just kind of in an organic role, uh, in, a, in an organic way, IBM had become integral to the running of the games. Um, and in, in everything from, you know, the design of venues, you mentioned 94, Rick, and that's a little hammer, of course. I mean, you know, with IBM 
software, uh, they designed the ski jump, the bobsled track, and a, a number of other things. IBM systems provided the competition results instantaneously to the television networks. They, uh, their software enabled uh, the Lillehammer and Atlanta organizers to, uh, to manage ticketing. Um, so in essence, the sum of that is that the games couldn't run without IBM. And so to kind of bring us back to strategy and a positioning statement. So if you think of that, um, and, and as I'm sure most of your listeners will, were, uh, would be aware, IBM was known as Blue or Big Blue. I mean, that was their corporate uh, nickname, I think is the best way to describe it. Their corporate colors, of course, blue and white, but they were known as blue. And so out of that notion that the games couldn't run without IBM, that IBM was integral, came our positioning statement, which evolved into a tagline, which was gold, silver, bronze, and blue. Which, which I thought was the greatest um, Olympic tagline for a sponsor ever. Um, I mean, it was. And, it, it, you know, it was interesting. They Wells Rich Green, I think, was their ad agency that made that come alive in Lillehammer. And then, they, of course, they consolidated and got rid of Wells Rich Green. And when the new Ogilvy came in, they couldn't use the old tagline, which, which I laugh about because there have been multiple ad agencies for BMW that have continued to use the best tagline ever. But your ego gets in the way. But that whole idea of the Olympics can't run without IBM – uh, and it was true. Um, and so you could walk the talk. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we always like it when, when, uh, truth actually, uh, meets marketing. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of rare, but we kind of like it when it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, the other thing to come back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, you, you know, I mean, it's one thing to, okay, we found that, you know, the games can't run without IBM, but how do you say that in a compelling way? How do you say it in a way that cuts through? Well, that's what gold, silver, bronze, and blue was, but to come back to the case study point that you were on, you know, a lot of people don't know, and even savvy marketers um, don't know that the Olympic Games is one of the most difficult management challenges in all of business in all of the world. And the reason that I say that is, and, and you know this, you've been around the Olympic movement for a long time as well, you know, a games is awarded. Okay, so now you've got to get a business up and running. You're starting at zero and you go to Fortune 500 size and then back to zero in a space of seven years. What, where else does that happen? Well, that leads me to my final question today is the games are going to return to the United States in Los Angeles in 2028. And everything I've read is, number one, they got to raise a whole lot of money. And as you say, they've got to build an infrastructure um, that, you know, comes together and, and to, to run the games and then will be disbanded after that. How, how, what, what are your thoughts on the 2028 games and how are they going to do all this? Yeah, you know, um, uh, I guess, you know, in just a few words, I would say huge challenges and huge opportunities. Um, 
challenges certainly to raise $2.5 billion in domestic sponsorship revenue between now and 2028, it's a huge challenge. Um, it, it's an unprecedented amount for any games in the United States and in fact, anywhere in the world with the exception of Tokyo. I think Tokyo 2020 will probably get to somewhere around that number, but that's an entirely different market, Rick, as you know, than a much more controlled economy where government and the, the relationship between government and business is much closer. Anyway, $2.5 billion. Um, and I think that would be a challenge in, in any era for sure. But in this era of choice where marketers have so much choice um, to, to develop and sell a compelling value proposition will be a challenge for them. Um, the opportunity though, well, a couple, couple of opportunities for them. One, unlike basically every other Olympic organizing committee that's come before them, they don't have any venues to build, none. So, you know, that's striking. I mean, their athletes village is gonna be some combination of UCLA and USC, and it already exists. All their stadiums are built. So anyway, that's a huge advantage because now they can focus on revenue. They can focus on sponsorship revenue specifically. And the other thing that they've done is they've developed this unprecedented partnership with NBCU. And for their founding partners, they're going to offer, a Rick, it's never been done before, a package that includes media time, as well as rights. So that's a big opportunity. It's an opportunity for sponsors um, to have, I believe, terrific value. Uh, this intellectual property that is the Olympic Games, which as I said before, is just unprecedented in its ability to, to change behavior and to be a part of history. I mean, you know, these games are gonna be something special, I will tell you, and I've seen a few of them, and I think based on what I know of the games plan, uh, LA could be one of the best, if not the best summer games ever. Well, Bob, we got uh, we covered a lot of ground today. We need to get you back on soon to talk even more about the Olympics and big events and ways that sponsors can, can tell stories. So, but uh, thanks so much for being with us today from the bridge. Always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Let's close today with On the Road with Rick. I'm a big fan of barbecue, all kinds of barbecue, but Texas brisket is about my favorite. There's lots of great barbecue restaurants throughout Texas, especially in the hill country around Austin. One of my very favorites is Louie Muller's in Taylor, Texas, just north of Austin. It opened in 1949 and is now run by the third generation of Muller. They call the place the Cathedral of Smoke. And there they smoke classic Texas sausage, pork and beef ribs, and the very best beef brisket I've ever had. It's open six days a week, 
but they're only open until they run out of meat each day. So you better come early or you may be sorry. Well, that's all for today, folks. We like hearing from you, so send me an email at rick at fishbaitmarketing.com. We'll see you next week from the bridge. This has been your captain, Rick Jones, from the bridge. If you like what you hear, please share, subscribe, and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast directory. Everybody wants me to be what they want me to be.